Have you guys ever had the sense in life that everyone else is being blessed except for you? Have you ever been in a period in your life when you felt that way? Where it, you sort of, everywhere you look, you see blessings, but then you kind of look at your own life and you're just like, man, how come I'm not, I, I'm not getting those blessings? It's almost as if um, God kind of skipped you, or that's how it feels. And, and, and sometimes uh, we just have this sense that, that we were passed over by God uh, when the blessings were being handed out. Here's the thing, each year in the few weeks before Christmas, we have this big challenge as a church community, and all churches have this challenge, that we can either get caught up in the commercialism that sort of, that typifies um, kind of American cultural Christmas, because we all know that. Like most, most people celebrate Christmas whether they celebrate Jesus or not, right? So many people do. So we can either kind of like get sucked into the American commercialism kind of culture, or um, we can do our best to take time out and, and hone in on what the first Christmas was all about. Because if the first Christmas is true, then all Christmases from that point on should have that same focus. Isn't that true? So, so we have our choice. And, and so, so right now, we're in week three of our Advent series called for, and it's a great reminder to us that even if we feel like we have missed out on all of those blessings that we see everyone else receiving, even if we feel like we've missed out, that, that even if we never get the job that we really wanted or take all those vacations that we see our friends taking, that God's plan for us, if none of those, ever, those other things ever come through, is still greater for us than, than any of the things that we could want or even imagine. About 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah had a vision about something better that was coming. And it really was about someone better who was coming. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is where we first, uh, this is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, now one, of the things, um, one of the things that Brandy and I always find ourselves talking about theologically, and that happens in a, in a, in a family where both people preach on a pretty regular basis. One of the things that we talk about often is that when we consider things that we're preaching from the Bible, we have to make sure that it would fit. Um, if it fits in Aurora, it also needs to be able to fit in Africa or Haiti or other places that have it harder than, than, than we do. And, and here's why that has to be. Because if it doesn't apply in those places too— then we're confusing Jesus with the American dream. And we don't want to do that. We want to do right by all people in the world. And we don't want to preach a gospel in, in, in the third world that, that, that doesn't connect with them. And if, if it's not true, it's, it's just not true. But the message from Isaiah will preach everywhere. The message about a son being sent for us and to us. And it'll preach everywhere because all of humanity has sinned. You don't have to look very far to, to notice just how much we sin and, and what our, our typical bent is. We just lean towards it. 
We know it if we're being at all intellectually honest, and we need to be rescued from it. And the good news is that God made a way for unto us. He did that for us. If you're new around here, um, we're so glad that, that you're worshiping with us today. Um, one of the things that we often hear, and this is always humbling to me and to Steve and anyone else who speaks from up front, is that we hear sometimes from newer people and, and, and sometimes people who've been around for a while that uh, it, it, it's almost as if uh, we must have had a camera in your house throughout the week because the, the message was just exactly what you needed to hear. And we're really humbled by that, and we just want you to know it's not because of us, but it's because the Word of God applies to your life. It's not because of talent, it's because God chooses to use us to speak a message from His Word that speaks directly into your life, that was specifically designed for you. And how do we know that's going to happen? I know every single Sunday that I preach, or Steve preaches, or Brandy preaches, or anyone else who comes up here to preach, that preaches a message from the Bible— um, I, I know it's going to happen because the Bible is different than any other book. I'm convinced of that. I've seen evidence of it over and over and over again. They are the very words of God given to people that he chose to be his vessels um, to, to give you life, to be timeless and life-altering. So when you come here with an open heart, and I hope you did today, I hope you didn't just come with someone because they, uh, they, they finally convinced you to come to church but if you came here with an open heart, and, and to, to have an open heart, all you have to do is say, Lord, just speak. Just speak. That, that, that's how much faith you have to have in order for God to speak to you. All you have to do is say, God, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about this Christian thing. I'm not sure if you're real, if you speak. But I, but I just challenge you in these next moments, just ask God, wherever you are today, no matter what's going on, just to speak into your life. Father, I pray that you would meet everybody right where they are. Speak through me. And I pray that you would amaze someone today with how much they are on your radar. So Lord, have your way in this place today. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak, to come and change to come and show someone who feels lonely here that they are not alone. Father, I pray that you would speak into every single person's life here today and that they would leave here changed. Change us all, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to um, look at, at uh, what we can learn about Jesus uh, from uh, one of the Christmas stories, the birth story in the Gospel uh, of Luke, chapter 2. And it's a big passage, I'm just going to read through it pretty quickly. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Luke 2, 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. As soon as I hear census, I just have to say this. If you're looking for a part-time job, the census is looking for you. I'm serious. And in DuPage County, they pay $28.50 an hour. $28.50 an hour. Okay, so do that. That's a good census. This one was bad, by the way. Back to the Roman world. 
Uh, This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. It says, And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen, heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I think context to me is always key as we try to understand what's actually happening here. I I, I think we we need to talk for a minute about the shepherds, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but I think it's very, very important. The shepherds had a very, very low status in this society. A very low status. They were they were dirty and smelly, and we know why, because they handled sheep all day. They were considered by the religious leaders of the day to be ceremonially unclean, which means that they weren't allowed to, to go in and worship with others. And they were widely considered liars and thieves. And there's evidence that there was good reason for that <laughs> for some of them. And some of them weren't. Some of them just had a reputation. And because of that, they weren't allowed to testify in court. Yet Luke tells us that the shepherds were the ones that the angels went to first about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's true, according to John 3.17, everyone knows John 3.16, not as many know 3.17, is that God sent Jesus into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. And 1 Timothy 2.4, it says that God wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. But not all will be saved. Not all will be. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, that small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. So, so why is that? Why is it that God didn't, he didn't come to condemn the world. He, Jesus came to save it. And God wants everybody to be saved. But the truth is he gave us free will. So that means we have to choose. We have to make our own choice. It takes humility to admit our need of God. And it takes humility to admit that we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. 
And it, that's a hard move for, for us, isn't it? Because we want to be right. We want to control our destinies. We want to make our choices when we want to make our choices. We want to do whatever we want to do when we want to do it. And we don't like anybody telling us anything different. So many people will never exercise that humility to call on God. But these outcast-type shepherds, and maybe you feel like an outcast type today, they had the humility to say yes to Jesus when many didn't. Is it any wonder that the God who humbled himself, the God uh, who breathed the stars into, into existence, who, who formed us out of dust, is it any surprise that that God who humbled himself and came into his own creation in the form of a helpless baby, is it any surprise that that God would have a special connection with those who are humble and make themselves smaller? Is it any surprise? It's no surprise that God would have a special place in his heart for the humble. God is humble, and we're called to be imitators of God, so we have to be humble in order to call on God. To say that you say that you can't save yourself is a start of spiritual humility. So no, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're going to be able to take something away from the story of how the angels proclaim this message to the humble and lowly in the society. And here's our first point today. And it's really simple, but it's really, really important. If you seek God, you will find him. If you seek God, you will find him. I think sometimes we feel like, maybe it's just me, sometimes I feel like I have to get these steps just right in order for God to, to show me his favor. I, I still do that as a Christian sometimes. I'll just think, well, maybe the reason that he hasn't given me this blessing that I see him giving someone else a blessing for is because I haven't done it all right. Um, right before I came out here, I just, I had this sense of, God, I, I don't know that I'm good enough to go out there and speak this message. And I got this sense immediately, yes, and that's exactly where I want you to be. That's exactly where I want you to be, knowing that you aren't good enough for this, but my goodness is enough for you. Isn't that a good place to be? That was, that was really humbling, but in a beautiful way, not a shaming way. Just a sense that God, he, you know what, he knows I'm not enough, he knows you're not enough, and he loves us anyway. Isn't that just so, so amazing? It's not the way the world works. The world says that you have to get this grade or you have to perform this well uh, at your job and you have to be the best at this or the best at that to get any recognition. But, but Jesus comes along and he says, in order for you to get recognition, you just have to recognize that you don't have what it takes. And it's like, wow, I, I actually really know that. <laughs> I, I really, really understand that I don't have what it takes. So he's not seeking to hide himself from us. He wants to be found. So if you seek God, you will find him. Um, King David gave uh, 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 this clear promise to his son Solomon about God. He passed this on to him. In 1 Chronicles 28, 9, uh, he said, Seek him and you'll find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So, so why would there ever be anyone on earth that would choose to not seek God? Why? Well, it's pretty simple. Pride. <laughs> Feeling like, no, I don't need to do that. I'm good enough. 
I, I have a special connection with God. He allows me to do what I want, and then he doesn't intrude in my life. How many of us live like that? I, I heard someone argue that um, there are many people who claim the name of Jesus who are actually practical atheists in their lives. That, that we, we want the salvation of Jesus, but we kind of want to do our own thing. So we don't pray, and we don't read scripture, and we're not in community. And we really don't ha- have lives often that resemble what, what Christians look like in scripture. We, we live as though we don't know God, but we, we claim his name. And that's not a healthy place. That's pride. Um, Psalm 10, 4, it says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Boy, doesn't that feel like some days? Do you you ever have some days where you're just so overwhelmed and you can say, sometimes I'll make this excuse, well, God, you've seen how busy I've been today. I haven't really had a whole ton of time to, to think about you, but I'm really sorry about that. How many of you have done that recently? You get, you get like through half your day and you realize you have not really given the Lord a whole lot of your thought and, and, and really none of your heart. And he says, I want you to come back. Come back. For pastors, it's, it's hard um, sometimes, at least for me, to, to read scripture without thinking of a sermon. Sometimes I, God just wants me to read scripture and, and focus on, on him and not try to get a sermon out of everything. But, but we all have places where we have pride, where we try to carve our own path, make our own way. But that's, that's, not, that's not from the Lord. So after, after the angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, they decided to, to, to go and see uh, what the angels had, had told them about. So they went and they found Jesus. And they were changed forever. Uh, maybe you're here today, and, and as you hear about Jesus, you're thinking, well, we can't go find Jesus in a manger, right? Yeah, that'd be weird. So if you went to the exact location of his birth, breaking news, he's not there. You won't find him as a little baby in a manger. You won't find him as, um, you know, Talladega Nights, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. You're not going to find him as the Jesus that's an add-on to your life. So how do you find Jesus today? How do you seek him? Because the the word tells us that we're called to seek him. And it says, if you seek him, you will find him. So how do you do that today? What does that look like? Well, first of all, the Bible is called the word of God. And, And Jesus is known as the living word of God And the Bible was inspired by God. And Jesus is the personification of the revelation of God. So you will find Jesus in the Bible. You will find him in the Bible. You'll also find Jesus in church communities that that teach the word of God, that teach the Bible. Again, that's why we focus on the Bible. We don't teach out of of our own ideas or our own books. That would be self-help. We teach from Scripture. So you're going to find Jesus in church communities that teach the Word. Community, hopefully, that, that shows the real love of Jesus. Because if we're following Jesus, who is God, and the God who is love, and we're called to imitate that God, that means that we will love. And, and in church communities where love is not exemplified, you can know that they, they've slipped and aren't quite following the path that Jesus said. But in real communities that are submitted to the word of God, you will find love because that's what happens. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, if you seek him, 
you will find him, okay? If you seek him, you will find him. So what happens after a person finds Jesus? I, I remember a friend of mine, he said to me um, when we were having faith conversations back in college, he said, Neil, um, I, I, I'm right at the point where I feel like I might make a choice to say yes to Jesus. And that was exciting. I, my, my, first, my first few years of, of being in the faith, like I, I just obnoxiously evangelized. How many of you guys have done that before? When I say obnoxiously evangelized, I mean I didn't really care about people's feelings at all. <laughs> I was just like, I just got to tell you something, and it's up to you if you receive it or not, but I'll tell you what happens if you don't, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's not good. The <laughs> story doesn't end well. Obnoxious evangelism. And my friend said to me, he said, I might accept this as truth, but I'm not going to be, you know, kind of like religious like you. And I knew what he meant. What he meant was, I'm willing to accept the salvation of Jesus, but I'm not going to do things like tell others about him because you're weird. That's really what he meant. And part of that, I've had to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I, I crossed over from weird to obnoxious at times. But God knew my heart was right, that I really just wanted people to say yes to him. And what my friend didn't understand is that when you have a real encounter with Jesus, the one who saves, that you are changed from the inside out. It is not so that you can attend church. It's not just so that you can be without shame and without guilt. It's not just so that you can know that you're forgiven and one day you'll be in heaven face to face with Jesus. But you are changed so deeply that you believe in something so strongly, he takes residence in you and you are compelled to tell the world about him. You're compelled. You can't help yourself. And sometimes it comes out in obnoxious kind of first stages evangel evangelism, right? And that's what I did. My friend did not understand at the time what God really wanted from him. He didn't want to just save him. He wanted to save him. But he also wanted to transform him and turn him into the person that he was made to be by the one who created him. There's some real power in that when we really connect with, with, with what Jesus came to do in us. He didn't understand that. So, so what's the right response? And that's our second point today. When you find Jesus, you can't stop telling people about him. When you find him, you can't stop telling people about him. How, how do you know if, if you know, so, some of you came, like you kind of did it the old-fashioned way, like when you were younger, you went up to an altar, uh, maybe because you felt guilty, right? How many of you went to church camp and got saved every year? Anyone here? My wife always tells me about that. She went to church camp and she said the same five or six kids every single year got saved. And I'm like, how many times can you get saved? And she's like, apparently a lot. Okay, maybe you did that. Oftentimes that's driven by guilt because you feel like you, you just didn't do it quite right or you're not sure if you meant it and you kind of wonder. Um, but when you truly find Jesus, you can't stop telling people about him. That's one way that you can know that, it, that the Holy Spirit's in you is that you just know deep down, I have to share this. Not, not, out, of, not out of this sense of God's going to be mad at me if I don't, but because you so want to see hope spread to the faces of people that don't know Jesus. That you see someone in, in circumstances that are just so broken, and you just want to be like, listen, I've got the answer for you. And, and maybe he's not going to do it all at once, and maybe he will. 
But I know the answer. And the answer is love. And he loves you. And he's for you. You just can't stop telling people. And, and why is that? Because we, that's the mission of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, um, his mission is to seek and save the lost. <laughs> to seek and save the lost. That's an active faith. That's not the kind of faith that you receive and then you just keep quietly inside. Listen, if, if you have received this faith and you are just keeping it inside, I would argue that you are demonstrating passive hatred for the world. Think about that for a second. You would never keep the cure for AIDS or cancer away from people, but you know what the cure is for, for the destruction of the human soul that sin has caused. And if you see people and you're just absolutely unwilling to share that truth with them, how much love in your heart can you have for your brothers and sisters who are lost and broken? I, I would contend that you can't have much. You can't have much. So an active faith, when you find Jesus, you can't stop telling people about it. This is a big deal. This is for your whole life. It's a shout it from the rooftops kind of faith with words and it's the kind of faith that willingly gives up anything to serve the God who saved you. Are you exercising that kind of faith today? In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were called before the religious leaders uh, because of the message that they were preaching. It was causing thousands of Jews to convert uh, to this brand new faith that was causing so much trouble in the Roman world. So they confronted him and said, okay, we're going to let you go, but we're going to ask you to stop telling people about this Jesus because this is causing all kinds of problems. Guys, that's real persecution right there. Stop telling people about Jesus or else. That's real persecution. And this is what they said. Which is right in God's eyes? Listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Notice that's not angry sounding. It just has this, this steady, there's an earnestness about that. They're, they're, not, they're, they're, they're not petitioning. They're not posting on Facebook. They're, they're not um, asking people to sign something. Um, to, to, they're not trying to stir the crowd up. What they're saying is, listen, we know what God's told us. And we know what you're telling us. Who would you follow? And they're trying to get through to, to broken hearts that don't understand this, that we have a higher authority. And yes, you're an authority here, but we serve the one that one day we'll face and he will judge us for our sins just like he will you for yours. Who should we obey? And they said, we can't stop. And we're not going to stop, no matter what the cost is. Do you feel that way too? Many days, I mean, let's be honest. Do you always feel like you can go out and, and say anything to anyone? Or do sometimes you just feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I, I don't know that I can enter into that battle. Maybe you feel intimidated by people um, that would rather have you be silent uh, about your faith. Or maybe you're just swallowed up by the, the kind of fears, uh, fear of, of people and, and the concerns of life. Because my gosh, life is relentless, isn't it? Just one hard thing after another. Maybe you've settled into the lie that your faith is only supposed to be personal. That you just think, yeah, it's okay. It's just me and Jesus. I don't have to tell anyone about him. And I'll see him one day and 
Dad, what's he going to say? What's he going to say to you if all you do is keep it to yourself? Maybe you have done that. I want to encourage you to look to the shepherds. Because the shepherds knew what they'd been saved from. And they ran and they told everyone about it. Do you remember what you've been saved from? I want you to think back for real. We all have our own stories of things that God has saved us from. Do you remember? Maybe it was lying. Maybe it's cheating. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's alcoholism. Maybe uh, it's, it's envy. Maybe it's yourself. You just know that you're your own worst enemy. If you're having a hard time motivating yourself to tell people about Jesus, I want to I take you real quick to, uh, to, to King David, and I want to encourage you to pray the same thing that he prayed when he confessed his sins against God and against man. In Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. How many of you guys need a little extra joy as you're going into Christmas? Maybe Amazon. Amazon can be fun with one click and Prime, right? Pretty good stuff. But I can tell you, sometimes when I just see money going out of the bank account, that steals joy, right? Sometimes I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money for gifts that no one will remember in one year. Isn't it true? We buy things, I've heard it said this way, we buy things that we can't afford to impress people we don't like. Isn't it the truth? Of course, that it, not for anybody here. But we can really, really miss the point. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me, grant you, a willing spirit to sustain us. Sometimes we just need a fresh perspective that can only be given by God. I'm going to ask the band to come forward as we go to our final point today. After you meet Jesus you will glorify and praise God. After you meet Jesus. I'm not talking about a religious experience. I'm not talking about coming forward. I'm not talking about tears or, or you know, crying or feeling guilty or feeling ashamed. I'm not talking about teaching Sunday school or speaking from stage. I'm not talking about any of those things that often we think are associated with faith. I'm talking about a real encounter with Jesus. After you meet him, you will glorify him and you will praise God. Do you guys remember what happened after Moses received the Ten Commandments and he came down the mountain? He surprised everyone. It scared them. Why? Because he was glowing. <laughs> he was glowing from being in the presence of God. He was reflecting the glory of God. He had... And maybe we don't glow just like that today. But there's something that people sense inside us that's different. How do we know that? Because when we, when we meet with God, when we connect with him, we're told that we reflect his glory. We are imitators of him. We carry the glory of God with us. And I think so often it's sort of a, a misunderstood kind of churchified term. Like, glory, hallelujah. You know, we, we picture people kind of waving something and saying glory and not really knowing what it means, Right? But, but glory is something, it's the essence of God 
that comes from our lives when we have submitted to him and we are actively following him. I want to challenge you during this week, as you're tempted to get wrapped up into uh, wrapping presents and buying things and running from one event to another, just slow down a little bit and ask God to help you reflect his glory. Slow down a little bit and ask God to help you focus on what's most important, what Christmas is actually all about. The more we meet with Jesus, the more we begin to think like him and look like him and act like him. And that's reflecting the glory of God. When you reflect the glory of God more and more, you will praise God. I want you to notice that the shepherds glorified and praised God after they encountered the newborn Savior. Praise is never silent. Praise is shared. That means when you reflect the glory of God, you will say it. You will speak it out. It's meant to change other people too. Anytime praise is mentioned in the Bible, it's verbal, which means you have to actually say it. You have to say it. It's to be expressed so that other people can hear it too. Here's what this gospel story is really all about. God has a special care for the down and out. Okay? If you're humble enough to call on him, you'll find him. When you find him, you'll tell others about him. And then you'll live a life learning to become like him. And you'll praise him. Because our lives aren't simply meant to absorb the blessings of God. They are meant to pass them on. Whatever you have received, you're called to give. It's never just so that you can receive all the gifts. Maybe today it's hitting you that um, as we talk about this Jesus, that you've never truly responded to Jesus' free gift of salvation. It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. Just because you are a pastor, just because you're a deacon or an elder, just because you teach in quest, just because you, you uh, lead something in church or, or do something for God, it does not make you saved, right? What makes you saved is that you have repented and you've received the Holy Spirit who will live in you forever. As a, he's a promise that one day you'll see Jesus face to face. So how do you do that? Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you hear that? That's really simple. But it takes humility to receive. You have to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved will be saved. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Think about this. You have to proclaim the truth that you have believed. Someone proclaimed it to you, and you believed. It's now your job to proclaim it to others so that maybe they will believe. And, and, and here's the great thing. When you do that, God always honors it. It's a testimony, and testimony means to do it again. So whatever, tell the story of how you came to Jesus for the first time, and he promises a return on your investment. He will do it again. Someone, someone that you're going to speak to about Jesus just needed to hear that so that they might be able to take that step of faith, just like you did years ago. 
Let's pray, and then we're going to move into our time of communion. Father, I thank you for this glorious plan. This incredible plan to save your people. God, I thank you for using the angels to proclaim the truth of Jesus. God, I thank you for speaking to the humble shepherds, the ones that were forgotten by society. Father, it shows us that there are no important people here. Just a good Savior who loves all people. God, I thank you that this story gives us hope that we don't have to be the kings of society. We don't have to be rich and wealthy to have importance in your kingdom. But that you were humble and you came here and you loved us. And your message was more well received by those who knew that they were screwed up. So God, any time that we think that we're better than someone else, remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Help us to remember that always, Father. Thank you so much for this incredible plan that you had to come and to save your people. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who has not received the gift of salvation, God, they would humble themselves today and that they would call on you, even for the first time. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. God, we thank you for such a simple plan. And I, I pray that all throughout, all throughout this place today, God, that you would just plant seeds of humility where pride has grown. I pray, God, that um, you would just change us from the inside out, all of us. And for those of us who have received you, Lord, I pray that you would put an extra sense of urgency of people around us. God, give us just, just insight and discernment into, to know, God, who needs you. Lord, help us not to leave anybody who needs hope without the answer that comes from our lips about you. Father, we love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion today again. Um, I, I, love, I love doing communion. And, and one reason that I love it, the passage that we're going to read together before we, we receive it, it's all about proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And it's in 1 Corinthians that, that we're told that that's what communion is, that it's not just an individual thing. It is individual and it's collective. It's communal. And it's really about saying, um, Jesus, every time we gather as people, when we gather as people, we're going to remember what you did for us with your broken body and, and your blood that was shed. We're taking these emblems to proclaim your death. That th this is the reason that we gather. This is our, our reason for, for gathering as a church. No other reason. It is the central reason that we are, we are proclaiming what you have done for us until you return. And that's the, that's the real good news is that the God who came will come again. Amen? So it, just, just come on down um, the middle aisles. Make your way to receive communion. And then we'll... We'll all take it together after you get the emblems.